everyone. I'm C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, a podcast channel in the New Books Network. Today I'm speaking with Catherine Kane about her debut novel, Bound in Flame, set in early 20th century Hawaii. At this point in Hawaii's history, the United States has annexed the islands and deposed their queen. But individual members of the royal family remain, as do the ancient ways, including magic. The novel's heroine, Letitia Liliokalani Lang, is connected with both, but it takes her a while to figure that out. Lang's livery, Oahu, the 15th of August, 1906. The parlor windows lay shuttered against the day's heat. Tiny bars of sunlight limbed the hulking Victorian furniture, coughed up years ago by some Irish ancestor's sailing ship to honor his royal Hawaiian bride. Letty used to think there might be spirits lurking in those shadows. Not so now. Now something worse was in store. Letitia Liliokalani Lang stood stiff, still, waiting. Her bare brown toes clenched the thick Persian rug for comfort, although comfort was not to be had. Her grandfather, her beloved Tutukane, might issue the verdict. That there would be a verdict? Of this she had no doubt. This time she'd really done it. Her little escapade a disgrace to her entire ohana. All she had wanted was to get her new stepmother's attention. Not this. No. Never this. Letty might blame the flames if she dared. The flames were her constant companions. Unseen, of course, but constant. Sometimes just a tickle in the small of her back. Sometimes a raging inferno up her spine. Always urging her to move, to act, to do something. Unfortunately, that something was often not the very best of ideas. And now, please join me in welcoming Catherine Kane. Hi, Catherine. Thanks so much for agreeing to chat with me today. Well, it's a pleasure, Carolyn. Before we get to your book, let's talk about you. What made you decide to write novels, and how did you go about mastering the craft? Well, I've been a lifelong storyteller, although, like many people, life intervened, and I spent many years pursuing family and uh, several careers, actually. And I am fortunate that now in my sixth decade, I have the chance to write and I've been able to seize it. It's been quite a journey. This novel was five years in the research and writing project. And that really is where I learned the craft. I learned that you just have to write until you can't stand it anymore and then get the best editors you can to knock you around and help you get it right. The other thing that I think is incredibly important for writers is to um, read other writers' work and also to attend conferences where you get face-to-face with other authors. Those are some of the things that made a difference for me. And what about this particular story? What's the background of Bound in Flame and what made you want to write it? Well, my husband and I have a long-term love affair with Hawaii and her people. And one day I was visiting the Royal Palace in Kona and came around a corner to be face-to-face with a portrait of a hauntingly beautiful young woman. And so I I said to the guide, who is that? And she said, oh, Kailani, she would have been queen, but she died of a broken heart. Well, if that isn't a writer's prompt, I don't know what is. Um, And that really launched the whole thing for me. I had to know that woman's story. I had to know the background. And as a result, the pieces that grew into Bound and Flame and what will be the series all came together. 
As I mentioned in the introduction, uh, Letty Lang is actually your heroine. Uh, tell us about her, uh, her background, her personality, and how you developed her as a character. Well, interestingly, Letty came very easily as a character. As I did my research and met more and more women in Hawaii, particularly the women that were tied to the ranching community, and many of whom have very, very deep, deep roots in the islands. The sheer gutsiness and courage of Hawaiian women really came to the, came to the fore. It's, it's absolutely in your face in a really positive way. Um, these are women who know what they believe, and they live to those beliefs. These are women who know their own value and are willing to insist that their value be recognized. Um, for me, getting to meet these women in and of itself was an extraordinary experience, but it also made writing these characters much easier because they flowed naturally. It was interesting. I had um, spent quite a bit of time immersed in the research and in listening really to the stories that people had to tell. And in one of the early beta readers, somebody off Island said to me, no one will believe this character. She is too strong. And I said, I got some women in Hawaii. I need to introduce you to, uh, it's, it's really a deep vein of strength that lives in Hawaii's women. And who is Letty herself? What's her background? What makes her so strong? She has had, um, as many people had in those days, experienced great loss. Um, there's great loss surrounding her as the Hawaiian people are still grieving for the loss of the kingdom, as they still grieve today, frankly. Um, there, she also lost her mother at an early age, um, and her father's grief was so deep for the loss of her mother that he was not a good parent for many, many years. And so that really instilled in her a great self-reliance um, and a great ability to just make decisions and take care of herself. I mean, it's we all know kids, and in a certain sense, my background includes this, that had life circumstances where the uh, adults in the life in your life were not totally present and you were pushed into making decisions. Letty is one of those um, children all grown up, and that means she's not afraid to be decisive. Um, but... Um, she still also has doubts about herself and who she is. And that is compounded by the fact that she is a temper. She cannot figure out why she cannot control. She just can't control it. You know, before we go on with the story, maybe it would be good to sketch in a little bit about the historical situation of Hawaii at this moment in time. Because I'm thinking as I'm listening to you talk, that it's a line in a history textbook in school, you know, the U.S. annexed Hawaii. There's very little attention that's paid to it on the mainland. Well, this was part of my inspiration, actually, for writing. I wanted to write 
some fiction that was accessible that um, people who don't know that much about Hawaii might choose to read for fun that actually gives a clearer picture of what the history was like. Um, Not to put too fine a point on it, the United States stole the Kingdom of Hawaii. It was a sovereign country, um, a cabal of white American businessmen first seized it from the monarchy and then handed it over to the United States. It is shameful the way it occurred. And I don't think most people are aware of that. So as a thread through this book and through the other things, projects I'm working on, I'm including that perspective of history so that people understand it. Um, Letty's family is inspired by the families of those who remained loyal to the crown even after annexation and the struggles that they and prejudices that they endured. And Letty's family is multiracial, and she, in fact, is just back from the United States when the book opens. Yes, and one of the things that people don't realize is that by the 1850s, Hawaii was already one of the most literate countries in the world. The monarchy had um, insisted on schooling, and um, people were well-educated. They read books, and in order to get advanced schooling for their children, if they were able to afford it. The children often went to the mainland or even to Europe to be educated if you were middle or upper class. So there was very strong values surrounding education. It would actually not have been unusual for a young woman to have been sent to boarding school um, off island. That being said, there were already very good schools um, on the islands uh, by the 1870s. Early on, uh, Letty encounters Tim Rowley. Um, she doesn't think much of him at first, but he grows on her, as they say. Um, tell us about him. What about him appeals to her, and how do they meet? Well, Timothy begins the tale as uh, an annoying spouter. He is um, young, English, and entitled, and sometimes he doesn't even realize uh how much he's just spouting the things that he was taught to believe. But she, um, so she begins thinking this guy is a complete waste of time, but she, she gets taken by watching what he does, how he treats animals, how he treats people, the um, business values that he has in the business that he has undertaken. She, learns that he's steadfast and fair and can laugh at himself. And he, she also learns that strong women don't scare him. He even knows how to have a woman as a friend. And I have to say, what's sexier than that? Um, men who actually know how to have women as friends. And as you learn through the book, and I attribute to this, he was virtually raised by an extraordinary and strong woman, his grandmother, who will be introduced. Yes, and she's quite a character, (laughs) for sure. 
you mentioned yeah. his kindness to animals, and animals are very important to Letty. Um, she wants to be a veterinarian, and she starts the book by jumping into the harbor to rescue a horse that, as it happens, belongs to, to Timothy. And because this is a crucial incident and it's early in the book, um, sketch the scene for us. Let us know what's happening. Well, one of the things that I learned is that in the early years, and actually still because of the ocean patterns, there are very few real wharves or docks, as you would visualize them, on the outer islands. So there are people living there, and um, people and cargo would be picked up and dropped off from a ship that lay at anchor. That mean, means it had to go in a long boat. Or in the case of animals, it either had to swim out to the boat and be lifted up or be dropped out of the boat and or the ship and swim into the shore. And so the most common way would be to winch the animal over the side of the boat. So we see Letty watching a very large and very obviously very valuable horse be winched over the side and she's ready to go over the side herself only she plans to go on a longboat because she's on her way to visit um, a friend of the princess on the island but unfortunately there's an accident the winch breaks and the horse goes in the water well what does an animal loving want to be a veterinarian woman do uh, strip down and save the horse and she ends up in quite a confrontation with Rowley uh, based on her belief that the horse has been abused and this should never have happened. She's acting on her values. She definitely is. Uh, you mentioned already that her mother has died and uh, her father is still alive. And one of my favorite characters actually was her stepmother, who is not at all the evil stepmother of legend, but uh, quite a character in her own right. Tell us a bit about her family, Letty's family in generally, but particularly the stepmother. Agnes is one of my favorite characters, too. And actually, Agnes is uh, coming back in some of what I'm working on right now. Um, Letty's family, and particularly her grandfather, Lot, are based on one particular um, family of royal loyalists who actually served the queen and fought for the queen um, when the uh, establishment uh, took the um, monarchy over. That family was Irish and Hawaiian, as many families were mixed race. And let me just take a, a sideline to comment on that. Um, what happened when um, outsiders came to Hawaii is the native Hawaiian population was decimated by Western diseases. Even things, um, well, I won't say as simple as measles, but as common as measles. The Hawaiian population went down almost 90% over the course of about 40 years. And so many, many Hawaiian families married um, outsiders um, as part of survival and it's, uh, to be able to move on. So Letty's family would have been very typical at the time. I, I made them business owners on purpose as well because there was also a very strong uh, middle class with ties to the Native Hawaiian population. 
Agnes. Well, in, I had to create a woman that would have been able to snap Letty's father out of his grief for Letty's own mother. And Agnes uh, was that person. She has a very interesting background. She uh, came to Hawaii from Australia um, under some unusual circumstances and accidentally met uh, Letty's father and was completely taken. She has a son with her and um, the family has embraced her. She Letty's father really was at sixes and sevens, and Agnes just steps in and runs the family. That's why at first she and Letty were at loggerheads, and that's how Letty got sent away to school. But as often happens, once strong women begin to bond with each other, that bond is um, a really wonderful and powerful thing. We're going to talk about the horseback riding a little more later, but I uh, do think it's worth mentioning that Letty's father actually owns a livery stable, um, and it's being challenged by events of the early 20th century. Yes, and it was another thing that just really popped out in my research. If you, If you can imagine it, people who had based their livelihood on horses uh, just as soon as horseless carriages, automobiles began to be more widely available, found their businesses under attack and they had to find new ways of surviving. And what I actually found was that many people in the livery business which in the livery business, it isn't just about raising horses. It's also about repairing and supplying carriages and making sure that people have transportation. And so uh, many people in the livery business who were far-seeing embraced the new technology. They understood that they were their families were delivering transportation, and they found new ways. And um, Letty's family, particularly because of her dad's propensity for engineering, were able to find a new way. Though I must say the opportunity was something Letty brought to the table. Yes. Letty also has a close connection to Princess Keokalani, whom you mentioned earlier, uh, one of those surviving members of the royal family. Um, you've given her a quite different history, though. Uh, tell us about her um, as you envision her and her relationship with Letty. Well, the, um, the princess is inspired by the real heir to the throne, Keulani. That was the young woman whose portrait I saw in the palace. And when I began to read her history and understood that she died shortly after um, the annexation, I began to wonder what might have happened had this extraordinary young woman lived. What would she have done? Where would she have gone? 
what would she want to be doing for her people? Um, if, when you read the history of Hawaii's royal families, what you see is, yes, they were aristocratic, but they also had an extremely strong sense of purpose and service to the people. So how would that manifest itself? Well, um, the woman that I began to see, um, who's a composite of actual strong women in the early 1900s, uh, went to law school and came back and began to fight for land rights uh, for uh, Native Hawaiians. And so that is the beginning of my view of the princess. And then I realized she would have more power than any of the others when it came to um, my fictional magic. So she's a very powerful character. And we're going to get to the fictional magic, too, in just a second. Um, but there is an underlying theme in your novel, which is not emphasized, but it's definitely present, which is that despite this being a very multiracial society, there is uh, a real prejudice of whites against the native Hawaiians, which affects Letty directly, even though she herself is not, quote-unquote, pure Hawaiian to the extent that that has any meaning. I wrote about this very intentionally and carefully and matter-of-factly. I mean, uh, what visitors to Hawaii um, see is Hawaii is, in fact, one of the most racially diverse places in the world. Um, particularly visitors want to believe that there is complete harmony and the Hawaiians have it all figured out. They don't, no more than the rest of us. And back in those days, particularly because of what happened during the takeover, it was even worse. But it was just a fact of life that people dealt with. So what I attempted to do, and I'm going to use the word attempted on purpose because I'm a white woman. Um, writing about these matters. Uh, what I attempted to do was portray what was told to me, which is that um, it existed, people dealt with it, it was a fact of their lives, and they just moved on. But I did not want to ignore that very difficult fact of their lives, so I included it. I did. Um, I did two kinds of research. I did you know, the more traditional historical research. Um, but much of that is colored by the white view of Hawaiian history. The most important things I learned were oral history and based on conversations um, with many, many people. And it's in those things that I, uh, that I formed the view of how people coped in the day, which is, it is what it is, we are going to move on. That's what they did. Let's uh, turn then to talking about uh, what's behind that ultimate purpose, not the ending, but the, um, the opening in effect. Uh, Letty has a magical gift, and uh, that's the source of your title, that she's bound by this magical gift, which is associated with flame. 
Princess Kay, as Letty calls her, uh, tries to help Letty accept and cope with the gift. Um, but what what do the flames symbolize? Um, the flames are really the physical manifestation of her gift. But the gift itself is something that all people have, and it is the power of human intention. It's that Letty, through her intentions, is able to tap into natural forces and channel them. And the flames for her are symbolic of the manner in which she um, channels her intentions and makes them uh, real in the world. It's, it's important um, to understand that Hawaiians think that what you intended to do, even if you failed, matters. And they also believe that some people's intentions are more powerful than others. So it's a logical extension to take human intention and say, perhaps someone could affect outcomes. Um, Hers power manifests in actually heat and in uh, sensation and in being able to nudge things that would would otherwise naturally happen, but sometimes just need a nudge in the world. Um, Princess Kay has her own gift. Um, it is the gift of um, guidance. Her name actually means the guiding star, the Hokulani. Um, but the challenge for Letty is she began to come into this power without understanding it. And like many women who are powerful and strong, she tries to fight it. She tries to stomp it down. She tries to put it away. And the important thing um, with Princess K is that the princess is trying to say, no, this is who you are and provide her with the tools for her to be able to understand who she is and then just go with it. And she expresses that gift often in healing, among other things. She's able to marshal her intention to help people heal, which is a good thing for a veterinarian or a would-be veterinarian. Well, interestingly, the power of intention just magnifies who you already are as a person. And she was already someone who was naturally healing, naturally wanted to make things better, naturally wanted to move toward wholeness and having things be right. So it would be just an extension of who she is to actually heal. Um, I think the important thing here is that Princess K and other people come into her life to try to help her uh, embrace this power. But at the end of the day, she's got to discover everything else on her own. She's got to embrace it on her own. And that really is for women, I think, the most important thing that each of us on our journey needs to do is to say, I know who I am, I embrace it, and I go forward. The way this is expressed in the story is through the concept of gates with a capital G. Uh, Letty is a gate. Uh, Keokalani is a gate. What are the gates? 
Um, the gate uh, symbolism is to talk about how they are able to tap into the natural power of the land. Um, like many cultures, Hawaiians believe the land is powerful and that the, uh, the land lends its power to persons to um, extend who they are in the world. So uh, the symbolism of the gate is the, that these are people who can open up that power and share that power with others. So they are openings. They are makena. They are openings. They can also be closings of power, but they are openings in the world. And so each one of the gates throughout the series will have an ability to connect with natural forces through intention. And um, in the book, I talk about a prophecy, um, which is completely fictional. It's not um, based on any particular Hawaiian legend, but a prophecy that looks at what is a Hawaiian tradition of eight women plus a queen who ride together and who uh, do good works. I'm so glad you brought that up because I can't let you go without talking about the horseback riding. I think probably every little girl on the planet at some point wants to ride ponies and, you know, uh, become who the, uh, the Hawaiian Ladies Riding Society, which is the name of your series, uh, actually are. Um, tell us uh, what made that the focus of your, your series. Well, first, um, I, let me talk a little bit about the riding, um, the horseback riding. Uh, Hawaiian women figured it out. The minute horses arrived on the Hawaiian islands, um, the king wasn't that enthused, but the queens immediately said, these are great animals. And the, of the Hawaiian tradition of expert horsemanship for women is deep, strong, and long. And they actually created for themselves a way to wrap their garments to be able to ride through rough country and protect their clothing. And they rode astride. So that method is called pa'u. It involves wrapping your dress up in a 9 to 12 yards of fabric so that you ride through the brush completely unscathed. And they became so expert at it that back in the day when you might be riding to a fancy party or a ball, you could be wrapped up uh, by whoever was helping you arrive at the, your event. They would unwrap you and your dress would be in perfect condition, even though you were wrapped up and riding a horse astride and possibly galloping. Uh, it's really amazing. So that tradition, when um, the horses' carriages came onto the islands, began to fade away. And so there were actually riding societies formed in the early 1900s to preserve the tradition. Um, those riding societies um, also had political purposes because they brought women together to talk about and preserve Hawaiian culture because the result of the annexation was uh, more and more emphasis on trying to uh, put Hawaiian culture aside uh, and get rid of the Hawaiian language. 
um, women came together to try to preserve the culture. And part of that was the horseback riding. And these, this effort still continues today. So I would say the first inciting incident for me to write this was seeing the photograph of the princess. The second was the first time I witnessed a parade in Hawaii, and there are women in these stunning, flowing garments riding down the street doing it's the Hawaiian version of the princess wave. They touch their heart and they reach out because they are giving their aloha to the world. It is gorgeous. And when I discovered that that was preserving this old tradition, um, that really was something that took me deep into my research. It's really, really special. So in talking about the Hawaiian ladies writing society, I've created one of those writing societies that will have political purposes over time. They are very interested in women's suffrage, but also in um, full rights for Hawaiian people, because that's what the princess is all about. As we've hinted, Letty herself is quite a whiz with horses. My Tatar heroines would welcome her as a sister spirit. So, Tell us a little bit about that part, what she does with them, um, you know, how she trains them, that kind of thing. And then we'll be closing down because we're almost out of time. Well, um, Letty's skills with horses are related to her magical power. There's no question. She's quite a great horsewoman, even without them. But because of her power, she is able to feel what they have to tell and to be able to let them feel her intention. And once a horse, once you're fully present for a horse, and if a horse understands your intention and your desire, they're very eager to please animals. Um, And that's really the secret to great horsemanship is making sure the horse understands what you want. And Letty's power makes her exceptional at that. So what would you like readers to take away from Bound in Flame? Oh, I think more than anything, that sense that... um, Women's strength is something to be embraced, not fought, and that, in fact, fighting strength for women um, takes away from the quality of their lives and actually may take away from their ability to love and be loved fully. If you know who you are and you accept who you are and you love who you are, then you open yourself to allow someone else to love you completely and fully. Um, And so that is what I would want someone to take away. And also that Hawaii is a beautiful and complex place. There are things to know about Hawaii that you will not find um, if all you do is sit on a beach and drink tiki drinks. I'm not anti it good tiki drink, by the way. But there are many wonderful things to know about Hawaii. And I think for every woman, Hawaii has the ability to be part of a woman's own journey to accepting herself fully. It's a wonderful message. And what about you? Are you already working on the next book in the series? I am. I am working. And uh, Letty will be back. Agnes the Lioness will be back. Um, I There will be 
if I live so long, uh, nine more heroines. I doubt very much the next ones will take me five years because I have a deep well of research to, to draw on. But um, Princess Kay in particular uh, needs her own book. And another one of Letty's acquaintances, uh, Lucky Letwin, will be the subject of the next book. And her power manifests itself in a quite different way. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. It's been a great pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Carolyn. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Once again, I am C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, a podcast channel in the New Books Network. And today I've been talking with Catherine Kane about Bound in Flame. Find out more about her at www.catherinecain.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to discuss it further with me and other New Books Network listeners, please join us on Shuffle. Shuffle is an ad-free, invite-only network focused on the creative community. As NBN listeners, you can get special access to conversations with a dynamic community of writers and literary enthusiasts. Sign up by going to www.shuffle.do slash nbn slash join. Like us on Facebook, search for NB Historical Fiction, and follow us on Twitter at New Books Histvic. If you do, you'll see each time we post a new interview. You can find out more about me and my books at www.cblesley.com, where I upload expanded posts about the interviews and in general discuss history, historical fiction, and the rapidly changing publishing industry. Goodbye until my next conversation about historical fiction on the New Books Network.